make that fit the screen. <laughs> Exodus. <laughs> uh, anyway, welcome to Carlson. You doing okay? Doing all right? So I'm going to make some of you do something that's uncomfortable. We're really the second Sunday of the month, which is today. Uh, we're just gonna we're just gonna say hi to each other. Uh, there's no other way to call that than greetings. Uh, and you're like, and some of you are like, oh boy. Uh, I know. Uh, I'll give you even a goal if you're a type A or shake three people's hands and then you can sit down. All right. But if you're like, I refuse. There's coffee out there. There's a bathroom you can go hide in. You can just stare at me. I don't care. Really, if we're going to be a family, if we're going to be this thing that God wants us to do, we have to be together. Uh, and so if you would, would you stand up, say hi to somebody, hug somebody, kiss somebody, shake somebody's hand. All right, y'all. Some of you were all about that. You jumped up and ran across the room. And others of you, not so much, and that's fine. I'm kind of in the not so much category most of the time. Um, I understand. But really, what God's saying, like, here, here's this adopted sons and daughters that have been brought into a family for a purpose. Uh, and one of those purposes is to be a place that honors the Word of God. And we are in a study of the book of Exodus so if you know where that is or you have a Bible, head to Exodus. We're going to be in chapter 33 today, and I'll explain why here in a second. Uh, if you need a Bible, I do want to say they're along the wall. I want you to see the Word of God with your own eyes. Um, I'm not against your phone, but I think having a word that you can underline and write notes in and come back and remember is a good thing. Now, the subtitle to this thing is Exodus in God's presence. It is because the people of God... I would say Christians included, not just the Israelites, which we will study, you are made for the presence of God. Now, most of the time when I say that to people, you have two different groups for them. You have, I would call a more charismatic group that's like, yeah, we are made for the presence. Let's go, Shekinah, right? And then you have your other kind of group that's like, that sounds weird to me. What do you mean? You must define your terms. I will do all of these things. And so when I say that we're a people of the presence of God, God's whole point in the Exodus, in the first half of the book we're studying, was to call a people to himself to know him. It wasn't to make a political sovereign state. It wasn't just to flex a little bit. It wasn't just to be like, I can do 10 plagues, can you? Like it was, God was, I want a people to know me, to honor me, to walk with me. And if you can kind of reverse the tapes and go into Genesis, why did God create Adam and Eve, our first mother and father? To walk with, to know, to, I mean, to be in relationship with. So the exodus is God calling a people to himself. So Exodus 1 through 18, I'm just laying the groundwork I laid last week, is the story of Moses, the Red Sea, the Ten Commandments, the whole thing. Like you have that story in your head. They get to the mountain of God in chapter 19, which we did last week, and then God shows up on the mountain in all his holiness and all his beauty and all his majesty. Things are shaking. They're afraid. 
Moses goes up on the mountain, and from 20 to about 32 is law. It's the Ten Commandments in chapter 20, and then it's laws about the Sabbath, and laws about the tabernacle, and laws about slaves, and laws about this, and laws about that, and laws about this. And I could just picture, if I just would have gone straight through, your eyes slowly rolling back in your head. <laughs> laws, right? And, and, and here's the thing. I think chapter 33 teaches us a really important truth that I want us to know. And I know some of you type A'ers are like, 33 does not come after 19. It'll be okay. We're going to come back next week and the following weeks to talk about the Ten Commandments and talk about idol, the idol worship that takes place. Uh, but what you'll see in chapter 33 is that, and this is really what I felt like God was saying, you are, not, you are made for the presence of the Lord, not the law. And we are infatuated with the law. So if I give you the Ten Commandments, I guarantee you I can make you feel guilty. You are a sinner. You have broken most all of them if not all of them. Like, we can go number one, have no other gods except me. And I, I can just prove, I'll, I'll prove to you next week that you've already broken that. And, and I'll prove to you that you're an adulterer and that you need a savior because the law was not designed for you to live. The law was designed to be a mirror to show you that you need a savior. And so we need Jesus to come in and do a work. And so if I was to give you gold, gold star type, felt board leading a type, a type A people, the law, You'd be like, I can do this. It was not designed for that. The Israelites are going to prove they cannot do this. And actually, when they get to the point where they can do it, they turn into Pharisees. And then Jesus has to rebuke them. And so this week is designed like you are made for the presence of God. And so we're going to be in Exodus 33, 1 to 23. Uh, we're just going to read that big chunk. And then we're going to talk about what he says. Moses is going to talk to God like a friend. Anybody want some of that? I want to talk to God like a friend talks to a friend. And so I want to pray really quick. This morning, people kept asking me like how I was doing, and I'm like a little shaky. I don't know why. Uh, so if you want to pray for your pastor who's about to preach, I don't know. Maybe you should. Jesus, <sighs> talking about your presence, talking about who you are, it makes me a little bit nervous just because I don't want to miss you. So I pray for the fullness of who you are to be on display in this room, that you would take this thoroughly from a human thing, just a human gathering, to where the God of heaven and earth invades. I pray your scripture, God, it would be read and it would pierce and convict and change us. We would not read it and not be different afterwards. God, be honored in this room. I pray for those, God that have never known your presence, they would know it, feel it, and encounter you today. I pray that we would take seriously our sin and we would take seriously the call of grace. Lord, we love you. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. So Exodus 33, starting in verse 1. You can follow along on the screen or in your own Bible. Then the Lord said to Moses... Leave this place, you and the people you brought up out of Egypt, and go up to the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I will send an angel before you and drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, Pezzarites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey. But I will not go with you, because you are a stiff-necked people. 
and I might destroy you on the way. Verse 4, when the people heard these distressing words, they began to mourn, and no one put on any ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, tell the Israelites, you are a stiff-necked people. If I were to go with you, even for a moment, I might destroy you. Now take off your ornaments, and I will decide what to do with you. So the Israelites stripped off their ornaments at Mount Horeb. Verse 7, now, now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. And anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrance to their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. And as Moses would went to into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and they worshiped, each at the entrance to their tent. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face, as one speaks to a friend. And then Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. Moses said to the Lord, you have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways, so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people, the Lord replied. My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. Then Moses said, now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. And then the Lord said, there is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. And then I will remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. The word of the Lord. This is this moment, right? You have a people that have seen God on the mountain in chapter 19, a people that have gotten this Ten Commandments in stone in chapter 20, and then they're getting instructions of how to interact with this holy God so they can, and then all of a sudden they sin there in chapter 32, and then in 33, after Moses and God argue a little bit about destroying the people or not, God's like, fine, I won't destroy them. Now you get into verse 33, or chapter 33, and he's like, all right, but I want you to go out from this place. So if, if you were to catch it up, uh, what happens is Moses gets the, the Ten Commandments in chapter 20, but he stays up on the mountain a little longer than the people expected. So the people get worried. They're like, Where, where's Moses? Where is our leader? We don't know what to do. I know what we'll do. Take off your earrings, take off your gold molars, take off anything gold, let's melt it down, throw it into a fire, and let's make an idol. Now, if we're going to read that next week, it's kind of weird. They say, let's have a feast under the Lord, but as they're having a feast under the Lord, they're worshiping a golden calf. So they're mixing their worship. God gets ticked. 
That's an understatement. God's like, what, I just, I'm just going to wipe this whole people. I'm just going to wipe them away. What have I been doing? I'm so angry with them. Moses, I'm not kidding, back and forth. Don't do this, God. These are your people. Remember your promises. And finally, God is like, okay. Now, usually when I talk about God being ticked and this righteous anger that comes out of this, there's a cultural response that we get. It's that, why, what right does God have to be mad? Like, doesn't this make him a little needy, a little jealous? So I'll put it in human terms. Men, you go home tonight, and your wife is with another man in your bed. What is your response? Oh, I see that you're busy. I'll come back. Right? So no earthly man is going, hey, bravo, wife. I'm glad you found somebody that really fulfills you. No. Every man on the planet is probably, somebody's dying or going to jail, maybe, right? And so the God of everything is covenanted with the people that you will be my people and I will be your God and you will follow me and I will be with you and my presence is in the midst of you and then they immediately cheat on him. And we go, how can he be upset? Seems a little jealous, Right? No, it makes complete sense to me. It makes complete sense to you as a husband or a wife. And then God says, all right, fine, I won't destroy them. You, you, you prevented this thing, Moses, but I'll, here's the thing. I'll keep my end of the bargain. You go to the promised land. You get your milk and honey. Don't you all want some milk and honey? Uh, right? I, you get your, your, your blessing. You get your land. You get your people. You get everything, but I'm not going to go with you. I'm not going to go with Because if I go with you fools... I'm probably going to blow you up. That's Andrew's paraphrase, but that's what he said, right? He's like, I just can't deal with the fact that you guys are going to cheat on me a bunch. I just can't do it. And this is the, the cry of God's heart. And now Moses' response is very important. Like, Moses' response is the whole thing today. Verse 15. Then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. Did you get that? If you don't go with us. Don't make us go. So Moses' perspective is, even if we get a land and a people and flowing milk and honey, and we get all the stuff that you've promised us, and you come through, but you're not with us, I don't want to go, we don't want to go, you're what sets us apart, you're the good thing, we want you. That's the kind of church I want to be. That's the kind of people I want to be. (coughs) People of the presence of God. And so... Here's the question, and I think there could be 50-50 answers in the room. If God came to you and he said, I'll bless you, I'll give you money, I'll give you kids, I'll give you everything you want, I'll give you the car, I'll give you life that you're looking for, milk and honey, I'll give you a lot of milk and honey, but I won't, you won't have my presence, what do you say? And see, see the wrestle though? Because what we've done in America is we've connected like this blessing, I got money and I got health with the presence of God. But according to this, it's not, it's not the same. Because God's saying, I'll give you the blessing, I'll give you the land, I'll give you everything you want, and I'll come true with my promises, but I won't be with you. And Moses goes, no, I don't want, I don't want that. I want you, Lord. And I'm going to tell you why I think he did. Because presence is the point of Christianity. Presence is the point of our faith. Presence is the point of Jesus Christ. Presence is the point from Genesis to Revelation, is the presence of God with the people of God. And without it, it doesn't matter if we have all that 
that stuff. And where we understand that will be a different church. So, I mean, look at the point of Exodus. God didn't come to them and go, I just really want to save you so I can just, I'm bored. I really want some rabid frogs to be thrown onto Egypt. Death angels thrill me. You know, I just want to, you know, that's not our God. He's saving a people to know him. And when I say no, I don't mean know about, and I don't mean know what he wants. I mean know him like a friend, like Moses in verse 11 talks to God. And so that's the goal, personal, intimate relationship with God. Once again, go back to the, the Garden of Eden, right? Adam and Eve, naked, no shame. They don't even care. They're just frolicking. I just love that part, right? Frolicking in the garden, doing what God designed them to do. And in the cool of the day, who would come and walk with Adam and Eve? God would. God would come and walk with his people designed for his presence, and things were as they should be. They didn't stay that way, but that's the way they were designed. You, you look at when God leads them out of slavery, parts the Red Sea, he leads them by a pillar of cloud. Like God's presence is in this pillar of cloud, and he's leading the pillar. When they build the tabernacle, the pillar comes down into that tabernacle, God's presence indwells it. After a little bit of time, that tabernacle, that tent is going to become the temple. And the glory of the Lord is going to fill the temple to the point where if you go in and you're not prepared, you die. So the Lord indwells the temple. When Jesus is born on earth, one of the names that is heralded, the angels call him, is Emmanuel, which is God with us. God's presence with us. Here's God with us. You were designed and made and created in Genesis to be with God. The Israelites are pointing to this relationship with God. Jesus himself is God in the flesh. In fact, Jesus himself is going to say some really confusing things to the, the, the Jews of his days. He's going to say, he, he looks at the temple and he says, if you tear down this temple, and I'll raise it up in three days. And they're like, what? This took 40 years to build. Because Jesus is talking about his body, which is the temple of God, which is the presence of God in the midst of the people so that we might go in and be known by the God that saved us. When Jesus left, when Jesus went up to heaven, he says, it's a good that I am leaving because I will send a helper. The Holy Spirit comes in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost and you have God in us, with us, filling us. Third member of the Trinity. That's not weird. That's Bible. So you have Adam and Eve, God walks with us. You have the people in the temple, in the tabernacle, God's in the midst of us in the camp. You have Emmanuel, God with us. You have the Holy Spirit, God in us. The whole thing's about presence. The whole thing is about walking, knowing in tangible ways the real living God of everything. And what we do is we boil it down to Ten Commandments and follow the moral law and make yourself pretty so that the Lord will have you. But no, that's not the gospel. What we lost, what we lost when we were cast out of the garden, when Adam and Eve were, was the presence of God. You were made for it. You yearn for it. You need it. You just don't even know it some days. And so you shove. You shove all kinds of entertainment and little, little appeasing things so your soul will shut up. But what it wants, what it needs, what it was made for was God. And so God's presence restored to your life is what this, this, whole, this whole thing we're doing today is all about. Is that Jesus, 
being God and being man pays for my sin so that I can know and be in the presence of God. So it's funny because if I was to ask you, what, sells, what sets Christianity apart? What sets Christians apart from everybody else? I guarantee you, I'm probably, I'm, I'm being sarcastic, collared shirts. It would be a list of moral laws. We don't cuss, and we don't watch rated R movies. But, according to this, in verse 16, for how shall it be known that I have favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? So Moses' response is, the thing that makes us different, the thing that makes us distinct, the thing that people will look at and go, wow, is not their law. They were good at the law. If anything's going to set this people apart, it's going to be their ability to take a law and live it. So when people look at us, we're not, oh, I am morally superior to you. No, no, no. I have the presence of God by the grace of God. This is what sets us apart. This is what makes us distinct. And so is that what you are known for? When people interact with you, Christian, do they go, I feel like I've been with God. Do they? Do they? Answer, answer it. Right? And so if that's what's supposed to be the main description of Christianity in my life, but it's not, whew, maybe I'm missing something. Maybe I need to repent. Maybe I need to look, be reevaluate where I'm living and who I'm living for. And so... If the main description of my life is not, oh, the presence of God, but I was created for it, let's return and seek it. And, and here's the thing. I know when many of us, when we talk about God is with us, right? You ever been in a service and someone went, God is here? And you're like, what, where? Right? So when some people say God is, God, God is with us, they, sim they simply mean that they're successful. When some people say, like, God be with you, ever had somebody say that to you? God be with you, God go with you. They mean, hope, hope things work out. But you see in this chapter that God says, I'm going to bless you but not go with you. And, and so if we're going to look at the presence of God, uh, let's look at Exodus 34, 5. Because what's about to happen is Moses says, let me see your glory. Let me be in your presence. Let me know you, God. And God says, okay. I'm going to pass right by you, and I'm going to proclaim my name, which is important. I'm going to put my hand over you, and you can't see my face. Because if you see the fullness of the face of God, you see the full revelation of who God is, and you die as a sinful man or, or, or woman. And, and so here's, here's what you read in Exodus 34, 5. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there, and he proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and he proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And so when God reveals himself to Moses, the way that he does it is he proclaims his name to Moses. He, he proclaims who he is to Moses. You're like, huh. So God shows up, the weight of the cloud, of the glory of God, the fullness of everything that God is, and he starts with, the Lord, the Lord. Now in English, that's one word. If you were to actually say it, it was the name of God you were not allowed to say as a Jewish man or woman because it carried the full weight 
the full description of who our God was. And so God shows up to Moses and says, this is who I am. Moses comes down glowing. So if any of you start glowing, I'll be like, I think he's been in the presence. And so what is the presence here? It's firsthand heart knowledge of the name of God, his character, his size, and the immensity of his love. You ever, old Puritans used to talk about when they would read one word of scripture, their hearts would burn. And I never really understood that, right? Like, what are you talking about? Like, you're reading scripture, and all of a sudden you're reading a word, and all of a sudden you just have this burning heart of, like, love and admiration for the Lord. And then it started happening to me where I'd be reading scripture, and I'd just start weeping. And there'd be this revelation, this realization of who God was, that God is loving, that his size is immeasurable, that he loves me to an extent that I can't even fathom. And then in the middle of reading scripture, I would fall down in worship. So in that moment, the presence of God came in my living room. And so it, it's not knowing and understanding more doctrines. It's intimately, I mean, tasting the reality and the presence of God. That's what you were made for. That's what I'm calling you to. It's the difference between, like, if you were to come to me and be like, tell me about your wife. And I'd be like, Anna's five foot three. She has green eyes. She has, you know, like, she graduated from IU. Her first boyfriend was named Hector. I don't, that's not true. But she's, uh, just listing off a bunch of facts. But the, and it's the difference between that and, like, you asking me, tell me about your wife. And I'm like, uh, she completes me in a way that I run out of words to describe. And when I say she's my friend, I mean the Lord has provided somebody who I can lean into. See, you see the motion there? You see the weight there where it's not facts? It's not a rote, like, I memorized some facts about the God of everything. It's, no, I have tasted and I have seen and I have sat at the feet of and I have marinated my life and soul in the presence of God, which I was created for. And so there is a difference in knowing about and knowing, loving, and desiring God. So I love the Bible. Like, hands down, love the Bible. Anybody after this accuse me of not loving the Bible, I'll throw my Bible at you just to prove I love it. So I love teaching it. I love knowing it. I love living it even more. Because I, I, I found a, a, a routine cycle of Christianity is we get fascinated with knowing this, but not living it. And so if we're going to be a place that's not just of knowing, but a place of the presence of God, then this is what we need to be. We have to be, have our minds full of the word of God and our hearts full of the spirit of God. Minds full of the word of God, hearts ablaze full of the spirit of God. Because presence is an immediate, firsthand, heart sense of the size, the character, and the attributes of God. And where do you learn about the attributes, the character, and the ways of God? In the Word of God. And where does those things, where does that, that heart level, heart sense open up the eyes of my heart, Lord, come from? The Holy Spirit. And so let me give you an example, a few examples in the book of Acts. Acts 2.43. Everyone was filled with awe. They praised God and enjoyed the favor of all the people, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. How did that happen? Why did that happen? 
Why is Acts 2 the verse we always turn to for what this is supposed to look like, but it never looks like that here, but we always look back in longing? Because they were so convinced that the presence of God is what they needed, that they would gather and they would sing and they would pray, and then when they would doubt, they would come together and be like, Lord, shake this place, and the Lord would shake the place. So everyone was filled with awe. Everyone was committed to one thing, being in awe of, in honor of, the glory and the goodness of God. Everybody. Acts 4.31, after they played, prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. So you got the church being filled with the presence of God, and the outcome is the entire church, if you read that correctly. It's not the leaders that are bold, it's the entire church is boldly going out yelling the gospel. Do you see that in here? The boldness of the Lord that comes from being in his presence 1 Corinthians 14, 24, it is about prophecy, but an unbeliever comes in and the secrets of his heart will be laid bare so he will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. That's the goal. That's the goal. God is really among them. They are so hungry, they will sit, they want to be with him, they were made for him, and Jesus made a way for them to be. So here's a good question. How do we get after that presence? How do we be a people of the presence of God? How do we go and be and seek that? Go to verse 7. Now Moses used to take the tent and he'd pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp. And he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. Verse 11. And Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. Now, you have a tent that's called the tent of meeting. Really, really unique name. Uh, you know, just a tent over here. We've set it aside. It's the place that Moses goes to meet with God. And if you want to meet with God, you go to that tent and you meet with God. And so there's Joshua, this young leader. And what does he do? Never departs from the tent. He just sits by the tent, apparently. He's like, I so want to know this God that I'm not leaving where he comes and meets with people. And so what you see, you see desire expressed in earnest, unending prayer. You see, the desire of Joshua is, I'm never going to stop pursuing. I'm never going to not sit by the tent. I'm going to pursue the Lord. So the presence of God comes into your life when you seek it more than anything in earnest, wholehearted prayer. Which means... which means you have to get hungrier for that. You have to ruin the taste of the other things and want that. Which means you have to forsake the things that God says forsake and hunger for that. Which means you have to put away the golden calves and the religiousness and the the desires of this world so that you might have that. Except usually what happens is we'll sit for about not even 15 minutes. You're like, well, tried. And off we go. Because what we want is an immediate fix. But there is no relationship on the planet that works like that, right? Give your wife 15 minutes a day. That's it. Put her on a timer. 15 minutes, go. All right, babe, got everything I need. See ya. It's going to be horrible, right? 
But why would we do that to the Lord? Why wouldn't we sit and seek, build a tabernacle, go to it, and stay there? So the presence of God will come into this church when we make it a place that is a tabernacle where God's presence dwells, and we stay here, and we pray, and we seek, and we take seriously the things of God. We will see him because we were made for him, and Jesus made a way. So the only way this happens is through prayer. And when I think about what needs to happen at Cobblestone, like what the thing that I want to see happen before I die, that's a little extreme, but you get it. Before maybe I go somewhere else or I, yeah, whatever. Because I want to see this moment, this moment where our hearts turn from cultural Christianity and turn to this hunger and this crying out. We shift from what we've known to the presence of the Lord. And it's happening. I see it happening. But none of it doesn't involve large corporate prayer. None of it's going to come unless we start praying. None of it's going to come unless we dedicate ourselves day and night to being people of that tent of meeting. And so here's two things to close, and then we're just going to do that exact thing. We're going to get after the presence of the Lord. We're going to repent. We're going to cry out. We're going to pray for one another. We're going to celebrate the fact that Jesus has come and brought the presence of God into our lives. The Holy Spirit is real and indwells us. So the first thing when we talk about this idea of the presence of God is humility and repentance. Humility and repentance to actually be a people that are humble, that constantly sift their hearts and their minds and their affections and their attentions, and then a people that are quick to repent. So this is what in Exodus happens. For the Lord had said to Moses, tell the Israelites, now take off your ornaments and I will decide what to do with you. So the Israelites stripped off their ornaments at Mount Horeb. Now, you would normally read that as just an extra little detail. They're taking off their extra fancy ornaments and clothes. But what they had done prior to this is they had taken off their jewelry and their ornaments and made an idol. And now what they're doing is in a moment of repentance and humility and going, God, what have we done? They're taking off these ornaments and going, woe are we, we're sorry, God forgive us, we want your presence come. So they're really taking off these symbols of false worship. They're taking off these things that they tripped over before to make a clear path to the God that they, that they see. So what always amazes me about people sometimes is I have a lot of conversations with people and they're like, I want the Lord more than anything. I want, I want to do what God wants me to do. I, I'm all about where God, but then clearly they are just actively engaged in things that displease him. Like, God, we're your people. You're on the mountain. Moses is getting the Ten Commandments. Get the gold calf. We do the same thing. And we must repent. And so humility and repentance, if you want the presence of God in your life, just become an ongoing thing. God, keep me humble. God, I repent. God, keep me humble. God, I repent. God, keep me. I can do that for the next 15 minutes. God, keep me humble. I repent. And then secondly, to know Jesus is to know the presence of God. So in John 1, it says, for the law was given through Moses. That's true. We just read about it. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God 
who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Did you get all that? So through Moses comes the law, live this way, don't do this, don't murder, don't commit adultery, have no other gods, no graven images, do a Sabbath, all of it. Those are the laws. And then Jesus shows up and he's full of grace and truth, unmerited favor and the truth of God, which is utterly different than what the law will produce in you, which is I can't, I failed, I don't match up. Because you don't, but Jesus does. No one has ever seen God. Moses saw his back, and that's the close a man has gotten. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he, Jesus, has made him known. So if you want to know God's presence, if you want to see the Lord, if you want to be a people that is dedicated unto the Lord, learn of Jesus. Learn his voice. Learn his word. Seek him, sit at his feet, meditate day and night, be a people of his presence. I'm telling you, if you, being a person of the presence of God is what you were made for. And do you have that presence of God in your life? Because when I ask, like, is that what defines your relationship with Christianity? I I know some of you in the room are like, no, that's what's available. And so what we're going to do is I'm just going to start praying, and I'm just going to start the humbling and the repenting and the worshiping and the rejoicing and the inviting of God's presence and the seeking of the Lord. It happened in this place. And so if you're the band, if you come up here, I'm just going to pray. And then I'm going to drop you off, and then you respond. And that could be in many ways. Maybe you just need to enthusiastically worship and seek. Please do. Maybe you need to get on your face and be like, Lord, I'm the one that would probably make that golden calf. I'm sorry. Or maybe you just need some help. There'll be some prayer counselors here and here. I'm going to go after the song, though, so that they can hear you. During this song, if you need to get with the Lord, seek him. Cry out for his presence. Turn to Jesus. You are made for it. Lord, thank you for your word. And I, I just say the same prayer as Moses, like, God, if you don't go with us, if you're not here with us, God, I don't want to go, and I don't want to even do this. And so, Lord, we give you our hearts and our lives. And I pray, Lord, for the one that's, like, hungry, the one that's like, I do want this, God. I want to know his presence, that you would reveal yourself to you would break through right now in this room. I pray that cobblestone God would be humble. That we would be quick to lay ourselves low that you might be high. That we would be quick to listen to your spirits tell us and show us and convict us of our sin and that we would repent of it freely. Thank you God that with you there's grace. Thank you that, Jesus, you are the truth, the way, and the life. So, God, we come to you. We rejoice in the work of your son. I ask that your presence, like tangible, real, life-giving power of God, presence, would be shown off right now. We respond to you. 
and seek you. In Jesus' name, amen.